is on Second Peter. I realize since um, I only got through four verses last week, I probably need to extend. So this is now a 15-part. Uh, <laughs> I hope that's okay. There'll be no extra charge. Uh, but <laughs> anyway, actually, uh, Josh was saying, man, you're picking up pace. You're going through seven verses this week. <laughs> like, wow. So I'll be talking faster, and uh, we'll see how that goes. But Anyway, well, let's pray. And um, before we pray, actually, as we're getting ready to pray, if you could open your Bibles to 2 Peter chapter 1. 2 Peter chapter 1. And everybody have a handout? Um, anybody do not, does not have a handout? You're good? Okay. I think we're good. Um, well, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your word. Thank you, God, that, that in your word you have revealed yourself to us. God, that you uh, help us to, to know you and to understand you. And, uh, Lord, we're delighted at the opportunity to gather in your name. We're delighted to have the opportunity to gather uh, as friends and just to study your word and to uh, hopefully grow in our understanding. Holy Spirit, would you help us tonight? Help us to understand. Help me to be able to communicate effectively. And, Lord, uh, open our eyes. As, uh, so we can behold wonderful things in your law. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So we're in week number two of Second Peter. Um, we went through verses one through four. Obviously a very slow pace. But, um, you know, it's just a good book. <laughs> it's rich. And... Uh, Again, I don't, I don't, if I pick up the pace, it doesn't mean the, the content is any less rich, but, uh, it's just, um, just kind of seeing chunks of, of truth and, and, uh, it's good. So just by way of reminder, um, it seems like most of the people, uh, that are here tonight were here the first week, but I think it's, it's worthwhile for us to have a little bit of a, a reminder of what we read last week, because, um, the the text as uh, Peter launches into what we're going to study tonight, he makes reference to what we've read, uh, what we read last week. So let's read that again together. Second um, Peter chapter one, starting in verse one. Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ. To those who, through the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ, have received a faith as precious as ours. Grace and peace be yours in abundance through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Through these, he has given us his very great and precious promises, so that through them you may participate in the divine nature, 
having escaped the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. So this book, Second Peter, is written by the Apostle Peter. And uh, as we discussed last week, we, we just kind of were reminding ourselves, who is this? Who is Peter? Who's the author of this book? And just, uh, he was a friend of Jesus. He was chosen to be a disciple, chosen to be an apostle. He's a man that, you know, in a lot of ways, his failures were frequent and very dramatic. Things that we see in uh, in the Gospels, times where he's you know stepping out in the water and he's and he falls and he's getting ready to drown. There's times where he's lopping off servants' ears and there's he's saying making silly remarks while Jesus is transfigured before him. But his story doesn't end in the Gospels. He goes on to continue uh, to do great things. Uh, empowered by the Holy Spirit. He's at Pentecost. He's, he's a pillar of the faith. He's a champion of the early church. This is Peter. This is the man who's writing. And he's writing, it doesn't say specifically who he's writing to, but you can tell he's writing to a, a group of people. There's a good chance they're Gentiles. First uh, Peter was written to believers in what is now modern-day Turkey, uh, part of Asia. So there's a good chance maybe he's writing to them again in Second Peter. But because of the nature of the book and, and the language he uses, there's a good chance he's writing to Gentile believers. So it's good for us to kind of just remember that as we're studying. Because I, I think as I was kind of re- rereading some of the things that I, I wrote, it, it's very easy for me a lot of times to go quickly into uh, not just who was the message given to originally, but what does it mean to me today? And it's good to have that application. It's good to have a a practical way that that the Word of God is impacting your life. But I think sometimes I can too quickly move away from, well, what what did the people hear? What did they understand when they first read that? That's where we want to start. We don't want to start with the application and then see how how we feel about things you know, influences the original intent. We want to go the other way around. and But I'll let you know, my temptation sometimes is to go quickly to, well, how does this apply to me? So let's remember, let's think about the fact this is written by the Apostle Peter. He's writing to people that are dear to him. He says, he calls them dear friends. He calls them brothers. So they're people that he loves. And he's writing to them at the end of his life. He's um, he knows his life is soon to end, and he's writing to encourage them. He's, he's writing to remind them. He's writing to warn them. There's, there's uh, a, a kind of a new teaching. There's some deceptive uh, teaching, some heresy that's beginning to, to bubble up among the church of that day. So he wants to, he wants to prepare them. He loves them. He wants to kind of equip them and gird them with truth so they can withstand the false teaching and the false teachers. So um, in your handout, uh, actually before we get there, uh, just to give you some signposts as we work through the material today, um, this is kind of, last week everything was great, and and the key word tonight is every. So we're going to talk about uh, everything we're going to talk about every effort, and we're going to talk about every confidence. 
Because as we learned last week, we have everything. We've been given everything that pertains to life and godliness. That's the starting point for our, our relationship with God, our, our walk in the Christian faith. It's the beginning point of what we're going to discuss tonight. But based on the fact that we've been given everything, we are called to make every effort. And what we're going to discuss that tonight. And because uh, when we do make every effort to walk in the things, to walk in the life that God has called us to, we then can have every confidence that we are his, that we are elect, we're chosen. And what a great confidence that is for us to have. Amen? So, um, just to summarize our last class very quickly, and this is in your handout. You can take a look at it. It says, we have a great faith in a great Savior, Jesus Christ. He has given us everything we need to live a godly life, to participate in his nature. With his great promises ever before our eyes, we can resist the allure of sin. We can walk in his ways and escape the corruption of this world. So from there, from from talking about everything, let's move on to talk about how we're called to make every effort. So you'll see that in your handout, every effort, and we're going to be looking now at 2 Peter chapter 1, starting in verse 5. And let's read that together. 2 Peter 1, 5. For this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness, and to your goodness, knowledge, and to your knowledge, self-control, and to self-control, perseverance, and to perseverance, godliness, and to godliness, mutual affection, and to mutual affection, love. So there's a challenge. There's a mandate. There's things that that Peter is calling these readers, these people that he loves. He's calling them to do, but he's, he's saying, hey, for this very reason, for because of the reason that, that we have the knowledge of God, because you're in Christ, because of his own glory and goodness, because you've escaped the corruption of this world, therefore, make every effort. You don't want to make every effort without the first part of that. You want to only make every effort because you're standing firm in the promises of God. You understand uh, the knowledge of God. You, um, you've received uh, these great and precious promises. You have the divine power. There's so much. I mean, we go back. I'd like to go back and preach the first, the first four verses again. You can tell I'm kind of stuck, but I need to change gear here. And go into the next uh, group of verses. So make every effort to add to your faith goodness. So Peter's making sure they're grounded on what has been done, what has been accomplished for them by God. Their faith is anchored in Jesus Christ. And they, he wanted to make sure they're never disconnected from Jesus and his story, the gospel. Uh, he wanted their efforts to be connected to the gospel, gospel-driven, gospel. You know, it, there's a lot of, in our culture today, church culture, sometimes there's, 
everything's gospel this and gospel that. And there's an aspect of that that's good. I mean, we love the gospel. We're going to talk about that. We cherish the gospel. But sometimes it's it's like the gospel is the brand of the day. Everything is gospel this. But for Peter, it's like it starts with the gospel. It starts with Jesus Christ and, and who we are in him, what we have in him. From there, we're to walk out our faith. Look in your handout. There's a quote um, by Dick Lucas and Christopher Green. It's important to know that, that our Christian experience starts with Jesus Christ and what he's done, but we, need to, we don't move on from there in the sense that we forget that, but we're fueled by that and we begin to walk in his way. Um, Lucas and Green, and this is in, uh, in a commentary on Second Peter, says, Personal and private assent to the lordship of Jesus, Jesus must work itself out in public and practical ways. Faith is both foundational and functional. So it's good that we have right understanding. It's good that we have a right knowledge of God. And when we do... There's some functionality. There's uh, some activity. There's some evidence that our knowledge is right and that our understanding is good. So uh, the readers of Second Peter, his audience, they've, they know now. They, they've believed, they've received, they're uh, now called to make every effort. And this make every effort is a word that appears, or a phrase that appears quite often in the book of Second Peter. Uh, and in your handout, I just call these out very briefly, but Second Peter 1.10, he says to make every effort to confirm your election and calling. Second uh, Peter 1.15, I will make every effort to see after my departure that you'll be able to remember these things. Second Peter 3.14, he calls uh, his friends to make every effort to be found spotless and blameless. And at peace with him. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm not necessarily drawn to effort. Um, Certainly not every effort. That sounds like a lot of work. Uh, I prefer things that are effortless. I like the products that tell me how to make things easy. You know, I, I work in advertising and marketing. And yes, I know some people are like, you know, can... Can a Christian work in advertising or can a, can a marketing? I, the jury's still out there, but easy is a big word. People like easy. Effort is not, you know, if you put effort on a product, you know, you can imagine anybody at the grocery store, you know, now demanding more effort, you know. It's just not going to sell. There, you know, sales are going to tank. Um, but in spite of that, um, biblically speaking, you know, the Christian life is not walking into Office Depot and pushing the big red button and hearing, that was easy. Uh, staples. Okay, so the advertising didn't work that well. <laughs> Rewind the tape. Anyway, stop. I know. Oh, anyway. So, um, ease is not, I don't, when, when you look at those great and precious promises, I don't know if ease was one of them. I'm sorry. For some of us, boy, that's maybe not good news. Um, 
you look at the, the book of Proverbs, and it has lots of fairly unflattering ways to describe people that are effort-averse. People like me. Um, sloth, sluggard, lazy. Um, why do I know this? I, um, why did a pastor friend of mine give me a commentary on Proverbs to study? I'd rather not say. But, um, you know, beyond just our general um, aversion sometimes to hard work, um, there, there are some things that I think in our Christian culture today, people get a little nervous when you start talking about what you must do. These uh, biblical uh, imperatives, you know, here's what you must do. And people start to feel a little nervous. There's like, I don't know, you know, all this stuff about commands and obedience and struggling and striving. I, you know, I just want to let go and let God. Uh, I don't think that's what Peter's talking about here. Um, the commands, the effort, you know, it can seem too Old Testament to people. It's too focused on the law. They, they kind of see this sort of pinched-faced Pharisee. You know, that's, those are the people that talk about effort. Well, Peter is talking to us about effort, and I think it's to our advantage to take his, uh, his uh, challenge seriously. Um, we are blessed to live in a day where the gospel is honored, and that's good. Uh, you know, when people cherish the fact that we're justified freely by the grace of God, that's a good thing. You know, without any work on our own, without any merit, without any works to commend us to the Lord, that's good. That's justification. That's, that's verses 1 through 4 of Second Peter. That's good. That's the gospel. Um, and I don't know if you've heard sort of a line of thinking sometimes that, you know, for a Christian to grow in their sanctification, all they need to do is to kind of uh, camp out and think about their justification. They just need to keep thinking about their fact that they're justified, the fact that they're saved, the fact that they're, they're brought into the kingdom without any merit on their own. Again, those are all good. But I think when we look at what Peter describes here, there's, we hold on to that truth. And then there's a walk to take. There's an effort for us to engage ourselves in. I would submit to you tonight that in verse 5, Peter is looking back at salvation and the inheritance that comes through the gospel, but he's encouraging believers to exert themselves in the power that they've been given, in the provision they've been given, based on the uh, all things that they've been given. Look at your handout. There's a quote by... Kevin DeYoung says, Yes, the gospel drives us toward Christ-likeness. Yes, faith fuels our obedience, but we still put forth effort. God's mercy does not automatically produce obedience. We must be told to obey and then go do it. Now, you might tend to think, well, this is a Peter thing. I don't know. He's a little, he's a fisherman. He likes hard work. He's, he's an effort guy. Certainly Paul is not going to, he's going to, he's going to set us right. Well, Paul has lots of talk, a lot of, uh, 
encouragement to make effort. And uh, I won't read these because of time, but if you get a chance, look at the uh, in Romans 8, Ephesians 4, Colossians 3, uh, 1 Corinthians 9. There's, there's a lot of strenuous effort. And notably, if you take a look at, and I think I have this in your handout, Colossians 1, 29. This is Paul writing. He says, to this end, I strenuously contend with all the energy Christ powerfully works in me. Strenuous, strenuously, if I can say that, contend. That sounds very make-every-effort-ish <laughs> in a way. Um, Look at this quote by Jerry Bridges. So good. He says, No one can attain to any degree of godliness without God working in his life. Amen. But just as surely, no one will attain it without effort on his part. God made it possible for us to walk in holiness. But he has given us the responsibility for doing the walking. So, it begins with the effort. God made every effort for us at the beginning. Now we have the privilege of of giving ourselves, you know, every ounce of our determination, making every effort for him. So, look back at verse 5. For this reason, make every effort. So, make every effort to do what? Well, it says to add. And it goes into adding things, a list of things. And, um, you know, it struck me when I saw the word add, I was thinking, you know, thinking of uh, math- mathematics, thinking about the mathematics of our faith, which um, isn't probably a popular line of, of doctrine, I, I grant you. But, you know, when you think about it, a lot of times when people talk about our faith, it sounds like there's some mathematics, but it's all subtraction. You know, it's uh, you start with a sinful life and you start subtracting things. You know, you subtract cussing and you can't do that. You subtract fighting. You subtract lying. You, you know, subtract premarital sex and and getting drunk and stealing while you're at it. It's all you know subtraction. That's kind of the math of our faith. Um, you hit the equals button and then there's a godly life at the end, right? It's all just take a sinner and take out the sin stuff. And you have the, the glorious Christian life, right? Well, it's true. We do need to flee temptation. We, need, we do need to uh, say no to sin. Um, but there's more to our faith than just taking out the bad stuff. Uh, Peter talks to us about adding. So there's, a, there's kind of some new math here. So... Let's take a look at sort of this new math that uh, Peter talks about. Talks about adding. Now, the word that is translated add is a Greek word, and uh, I'm going to try to pronounce it. I believe it's epichorigo, which sounds like chorizo. I don't know. That's probably not right. But let's just say only Todd knows that I just butchered that. But everybody else, that's, that's exactly how it is. I... I talked to some Greeks, and it's epichorigo. So what does that mean? What is epichorigo? Um, well, 
what I understand at the time that, that this book was written, it was penned, there were, uh, in Greece, primarily Athens, there were uh, drama festivals, there were public performances, big part of life at that time. They loved art and beauty. So you've got poets, the creative people, they're writing the material. You've got the state or the, the city sponsoring it. But somebody has to underwrite the performance. Somebody's kind of the producer. Uh, somebody's got to pay the bills. Well, in that culture, there were these uh, koregi. And they're rich individuals, and they're, they're kind of competing with one another. They want to be seen as those that are sponsoring the art. They're, they're paying for the equipment. They're um, paying for the training of the choruses. So when you see, this is all kind of baked into the word ad. At, at that time, ad is kind of this costly cooperation. So for these people to uh, produce, they, they, there was a cost to things. So when we add these things that we're going to get into, there's, there's a cost to us. This, it takes effort. It kind of works with that. Make every effort to provide costly cooperation with what uh, God is doing, what God has done. Um, and just so you know, it's kind of an inter- interesting aspect. Sometimes when you see words that sort of frame sections, but um, this word epicurigo, uh is in verse 5, where it's add to your faith. So that's what we're called to do. And then when you look at verse 11, it talks about being provided or being it's being added to us, this rich welcome. And that's what God is doing. God is adding this. So there's an interesting sort of uh, frame to this list of things we're called to do. Um, we add these things. God adds to us this rich welcome. So uh, the list that we see, you know, there, there's lots of lists in the Scripture. Uh, I may have given you a list of lists. Uh, Paul has lots of lists. The list that um, Peter uses is a little unusual. A lot of the words are words that don't really appear that often in other places in Scripture. However, there were words that were very familiar to the people he was writing to. They were words that were very um, familiar in the Greek culture, that Hellenistic culture. There's uh, all kinds of different philosophies, uh, Stoicism and um, so he's using words that, that are familiar to them um, when we see this list. Um, there's nothing magic about the list. You know, if you, I don't think if you added, you know, goodness out of sequence with brotherly love, I, it doesn't, doesn't break anything. It doesn't, you know, you don't lose any points. It's, uh, there is kind of this interesting sense that one attribute kind of, is birthed out of the next. But, you know, when you look at the list, there's a lot of overlap. There's a lot of aspect of love that f- comes into, uh, you know, brotherly kindness and, and so forth. So all that to say, as we look at the list, you know, people, I think, have tried to talk about it as this ladder of faith and, you know, you can't skip a step. And I, I don't know. It, to the best of my knowledge, it you know, you could sort the list in different ways. Uh, but 
let's look at what is in the list because those, uh, what's there is important to us. So it starts with faith. <clears throat> and actually the, the words at the beginning and the end of the list are really what give the list a distinctly Christian aspect. Uh, there's faith and love are at the beginning and end of this list. And I think Darren used this phrase, which I thought was good, the, the faith and love sandwich, which is nice. I mean, those are the things that kind of hold everything together. You know, we do start with faith, and, and love uh, is a goal. So we start with our faith in Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. Um, Peter's referring back to, in verse 2, he talks about faith. Faith is a gift. The fact that faith is precious, that the faith of these uh, readers, uh, these Greek readers, that uh, Peter was saying that, that their faith was as valuable as his, so it starts with faith. From faith, we must add goodness. Goodness is translated from a Greek word, uh, I believe it's pronounced arete, which can mean virtue, moral excellence, um, if something is good, um, it's kind of uh, serving in the way that it's meant to. It's it's being it's being fulfilled in what it does. It's kind of like the fulfillment. I, I read this uh, fulfillment of a of a knife is to cut. Fulfillment of a plane is to fly. Where we're called to have this moral excellence to fulfill, you know, what we're called to be, you know. And I think in a lot of ways. I mean, we're, we're called to emulate Christ. This word goodness has, has appeared earlier um, in Second Peter, ascribed to God, ascribed to Christ, that it's by his glory and goodness that we were called. So there's a sense, a lot of these characteristics kind of link back to, to Christ. We'll see that. It's kind of like, well, that, didn't that just appear earlier? So that gives us a little bit of clue that we're called to to make every effort to walk in his way, to to be Christ-like in our life and in our actions. Um, so we go from goodness to knowledge. Knowledge is a word that appears again and again and again, the knowledge of God. That's a big focus in the book Second Peter. And um, very often, uh, it's appeared a couple of times already in verses 2 and 3, and the, the form of the word that's used there is epinosis. So this um, saving knowledge in Christ. The word in verse 5 is a little different. Gnosis could mean more of a practical knowledge, more of wisdom, knowing right from wrong, knowing what to do um, as we apply ourselves to living a godly life. What would you say... I mean, if somebody were to say uh, you want to grow in knowledge, what, what's a good source maybe for growing in knowledge? Any any suggestions if you wanted to grow in knowledge as it related to God? The word. Huh? The Word? The Bible? Scriptures? Yeah. Excellent. Yeah. The knowledge of God. That's our primary source. Of, of our knowledge of God. I mean, we certainly know of him through creation in different ways, but, but his word, the scriptures. Um, so to knowledge, we're to add self-control. 
Self-control was a, a virtue that was much discussed in that day and in that culture. There were the, the Stoics, if I understand correctly, they were this little philosophical school of thought, and they thought, you know, um, self-control is important. If I can minimize my entanglements with the physical world through exerting my will, that's a good thing. Well, that's, that's not exactly what we're called to do in Christ. I mean, we are called to exercise self-control, but it's not just because of our own will. It's because we have been provided with divine power. We've been given everything that pertains to life and godliness. We've been equipped to uh, exercise moderation in all things. Um, a lot of times when uh, self-control is mentioned in the scriptures, it relates to um, sex, to physical fleshly desires. Could could relate to other physical des- desires, but self-control, uh, as you see in other places in scripture, uh, is often connected to sexual desires. Galatians 5 lists it as a fruit of the Spirit. So riding with self-control, which is exercising moderation um, in good things, there's perseverance. So there's perseverance is how do you bear up under bad things often. Um, perseverance, the word actually kind of means remain under. So, you know, we all have probably had situations or circumstances where we've had to persevere. We kind of remain, you remain under that situation or that circumstance, but you need to continue on. You need to continue to glorify God and follow the Lord. You're remaining under that. Well, that's one of the things we're called to add that, to grow in perseverance, um, Perseverance, and again, this, when you think about the culture of that day, um, the Greeks felt like, well, perseverance is you just have to take whatever comes your way because it's blind fate. Who knows? It's just crazy. But for us, perseverance is not because of anything blind, blind fate. It's a sense that we have a God that sees everything, that, that we're not blind either. We can look to God. We can look to his promises. We can look to the inheritance we have in him. So we can persevere. You know, what does it say about Jesus? You know, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. So when we, when we persevere, when we add perseverance, it's that sense of I'm remaining under this difficult thing, but I've got my eyes set on the Lord and what he's promised and all that um, I have in him. To perseverance, we are to add godliness. Godliness can mean, uh, it, the word is eusebia, which meant good worship. Uh, godliness, again, is, a, is an attribute that appeared uh, in verse 3. Peter says that we've been given everything for godliness. So the fact that we've been given everything for godliness, we're called now to, to add that to our life, to, to walk in it, to advance in it. Uh, the next attribute is mutual affection. Uh, the word Philadelphia, brotherly love. Uh, and that we have to kind of work through that, because if you know people from Philadelphia, I don't know. Sorry, Gary. They call it the city of brotherly shove for, because of just the, you know. But Philadelphia was a, you know, it's a common word of that day. 
And really, for the most part, whenever they used it in that culture, it always had to do with love within a family unit. It's the, the love that, that you know, brother and sister have. But uh, there's a sense that for uh, probably the readers of this letter the first time, when they're seeing Philadelphia applying to, to other people, it's like, wow, okay, I need to treat um, other believers as brothers and sisters. That's, that's very familiar to us today. But I think in that day, that was a sense of, wow, this is, this is new. This is exciting. This is good. I want to put on mutual affection, brotherly kindness. And then finally, the, the last attribute, the, the climax or the crowning achievement of the letter is love. And you can look and say, oh, I don't know, is this repetitious on brotherly love, mutual affection that seemed... I don't know, is Peter's just repeating himself? No, there's a different kind of love, in a sense. Um, instead of just a love for brother, it's talking about agape love. And uh, I did put in your handout, Michael Green says, this agape might be defined as a deliberate desire for the highest good of the one loved, which shows itself in sacrificial action for that person's good. This is what God did for us. This is what he wants us to do. God has given us his agape. He's loved us because of who he is, not because of any love, loveliness in us. So we're called to love people that are not just because we get something out of it, but because we've made that decision to love. So we're called to make every effort. Let's be reminded of that as it relates to this list. Make every effort to add these things. So let's go. We've talked about the fact that we have everything. We've talked about the call to make every effort. Now let's look at the aspect of Second Peter where it talks about having every confidence. Uh, every confidence in our relationship with God. Every uh, confidence that we're called and we're elect. And um, I believe you'll find every confidence is on the maybe your back page of your outline. Let's read this together in Second Peter 1, starting in verse 8. If you possess these qualities, what, what qualities are those? Well, those, that list of things that we're to make every effort. If you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But whoever does not have them is nearsighted and blind, forgetting that they have been cleansed from their past sins. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, make every effort to confirm your calling and election. If you do these things, you will never stumble, and you will receive a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. That's a, that's a glorious truth in that. Um, we've been called 
to grow in the attributes listed in verses 5 through 7. There's a glorious promise. Uh, When we possess these qualities, they'll keep our knowledge of God from having no effect. It will keep our knowledge of God from being fruitless. And that's, that's a sobering thought to me. I know at other times where I've looked at this, this passage and I thought, you know, can I, I could be ineffective and unproductive in my knowledge of God. And that's, that's a sobering thought. Um, you know, I don't want my faith, my knowledge of God to be of no account, you know, not to account for something. And I don't know that we talk about our faith and our knowledge of God in that way. Some, a lot of times probably, but it, to me, that's a sobering verse. When I bumped in that uh, at different times, I'm thinking, okay, Lord, help me. I want to have a knowledge of God that's that's fruitful and, and has effect and impact. Um, it seems that Peter is saying that it is possible to have a knowledge of God that is ineffective and unproductive. If you're not making every effort to add to your faith in the ways that are described, Peter's saying that you're nearsighted and blind. Nearsighted and blind. Now, at first blush that seems like he's kind of piling on I, I you know you could see well i could be nearsighted or blind but i got or i could be blind but how can i be nearsighted and blind um well nearsighted likely describes one that you think about when you're nearsighted you're just seeing things up close you're perceiving thing the earthly things but you're not seeing things at a distance you know and that's a challenge for us. And see, you know, as believers, we don't want to just live with a sense of today, but we're looking at that day. We want to be far-sighted. We want to have a sense of what's coming uh, in eternity, what's awaiting for us, that rich inheritance. Uh, so we don't want to be nearsighted. But but if you're not growing in the attributes that Peter talked about, you're you're nearsighted. You care about things that are just up close. Um. Blind, <clears throat> I think as it's uh, used here, is not somebody that can't see, but it's really somebody that, that won't see, somebody that refuses to see, somebody that's, uh, I think it's either the word or the phrase is more of one of like blinking or, or shutting your eyes, somebody that uh, is making, almost like they're making every effort to not see. Uh, they're purposefully blind to being cleansed from their past sins. Peter doesn't want these vision problems for the people he loves. It's the second time in this letter he's saying, make every effort. He wants them. You can hear his pastor's heart. He wants them to, to not be nearsighted and blind. He wants them to make every effort to grow in Christ-likeness uh, as a way of, of proving the validity of their faith. And um, I think that's something that, that we want for ourselves as well. Um, he wanted the believers to have every confidence that they were in Christ. Uh, but that was only if their faith was bearing fruit, their growing in godliness. The confirmation of their election was their progress in sanctification. 
you know, as <clears throat> Christians, we're not, we're not called just to kind of go with the flow. That's kind of a, a common term. Let's just, we're going to go with the flow. Um, you think about when you go with the flow, you get the river, it's, it's probably because there's a waterfall coming up. <laughs> uh, I mean, we're called to go against the flow. We're called to swim upstream. We're called to make every effort uh, to remain vigilant. But God has given us the power. We're not called to just grit our teeth and pull ourselves up by our own bootstraps. We've been given divine power. We've been given God's Holy Spirit. We've been given everything that pertains to life and godliness. But we've got to swim against the tide of our culture and the world that we live in. Let's, uh, let's just summarize, and maybe we'll have time for a few questions. I would imagine there could be lots of them connected to this topic. Um, we talked about everything and every effort and every confidence. So to summarize, I think what we talked about tonight, uh, we've been given everything for godly living, living uh, through the knowledge of Christ who called us by his own glory and goodness. We're called to make every effort because of the divine power of his Holy Spirit and the rich provision of his grace. We must strive. We must work hard. We must spend ourselves to grow in the attributes and the character of Christ. And when we do that, we can have every confidence. We don't do all these things. We don't make every effort to buy our way into heaven. It's because we're already in heaven that we can make every effort. But growth in godliness, uh, it really shows that we have a true knowledge of God. Um, We want to be every confident that we are his, confirming our our calling, confirming our election, walking in his way. And as we close, just look at verse 11, um, kind of the sum. the result of making every effort to confirm our election and calling, you will receive a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Don't you want that rich welcome? (laughs) That's something for us to keep our eyes on. That's uh, a compelling vision to help us to persevere when times are tough. That's uh, incentive to make every effort to walk in his way. Amen. Well, let's close with a word of prayer. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, thank you that uh, we are fully and richly provided for, that in your Son uh, our sins have been forgiven, we are cleansed, we are made righteous. Uh, We are adopted as your sons and your daughters. Lord, thank you for the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Lord, we want to be those who make every effort to walk in your way. We want to be those who uh, spend ourselves uh, adding uh, attributes that bring glory to you, that serve those that we love. And Lord, we look forward to having 
uh, and standing in the confidence that comes with knowing that we are elect, that we are called, that we have a rich welcome waiting for us in the kingdom of your dear son. We thank you. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.